Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Good morning, church. Again, it's nice to be worshiping together again with everyone. Uh, worshiping at a, a different church last week was refreshing. Uh, it's, it's a completely different experience when you actually get to engage in worship and not feel like you're about to be on. So last weekend was freeing to, to engage in worship, but it's such a refreshment to be worshiping together uh, with church family again. And so it's good to be back. But this past week, I actually learned something very interesting. And this isn't theological at all. I just learned an interesting, useless bit of trivia. Uh, that the phrase, to bury your head in the sand, is actually completely based on a misconception. The thought is that ostriches, when confronted with, with uh, a, a conflict, that they stick their head in the sand out of, out of terror or fright, and they're trying to avoid the situation. And it's just not true. And I feel like my entire life has been built upon a lie. Okay, maybe that's... It's a bit of an exaggeration, but, but still... Uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've grown up my entire life hearing that phrase and hear it explained in that way, and then to learn that it's not true. It's actually because ostriches will bury their nest in the sand. And so when they stick their head in the sand, they're actually checking on the well-being of their eggs. They're not hiding out of fear. They're checking on their children. Which gives a completely different context. And so there's, there's probably some kind of parenting analogy in there, but I haven't fleshed that out yet. But, but the theory was that ostriches are so foolish or simple-minded that, that they would bury their head in the sand to avoid conflict with the, the mentality of, if I can't see them, then they can't see me. And I remember feeling that kind of fear as a kid, like when you feel like the boogeyman is about to come out of your closet, I'm going to hide under my blanket. If I can't see him, he can't see me. And even having a one-year-old child and still the, the joy of peekaboo, that covering up his eyes for just a moment, he thinks I've left. But there's the feeling that if I cannot see the conflict or the problem, that it is no longer there. And it sounds laughable, but practically, that's how we end up living our lives. If I can pretend that the problem is not actually there, then everything's okay. I'm going to be fine. And so we spend a lot of time in our life chasing after what we like to believe is peace. Because we think that peace is the avoidance of conflict. That if we have nothing giving us pressure and conflict in our lives, then we have obtained peace. The unfortunate reality is that there will be pressure in your life. There will be conflict. There will be struggle and heartache and pain. You might not be in the midst of it right now, but at some point, eventually, pressure will bubble up and rise and there will be tension and conflict in your life. And Psalm, Psalm 4, shows that for God's people, for the Christian, 
Peace is not determined by your circumstances, but in the presence of God. And I'll say that one more time if you're one of those people that likes to follow along, take notes, but that your peace is not determined by circumstances, but in the presence of God. Peace is often viewed as a lack of conflict or pressure, and often we equate peace with the metaphorical burying our head in the sand. But Scripture offers a greater peace. Not ignoring that conflict is not there, but a peace in the middle of conflict. And David offers three reminders in this psalm. Three reminders in pursuit of this scriptural heavenly peace. First, in verses 1-3, through to appeal to God's character. David begins by appealing to God's character in verses 1-3. through Then in verses 4-5, through check your actions. Let's check your actions in verses 4-5. through And lastly, in verses 6-8, through to rest in God's control. Rest in God's control. And so, with these three reminders that David has given us, we will unpack what Psalm 4 says about the believer's pursuit of peace. But before we go there, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time that we can set aside to focus our hearts and our minds on Your Word. God, we confess that we are easily distracted, that there are uh, just uh, there's the, the pressures of everyday life, the pressures of relationships and work, and the fact that summer is almost over and school will be back soon. There are just the, the tensions in our lives of conflict. And God, instead of ignoring those things, I pray that we would bring them with us and lay them at the foot of Your throne. God, pour out Your Spirit in this place and speak through me as Your servant to bring Your Gospel to Your people. Be with us now. Encourage us with the power of Your Word. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, that conflict and pressure is unavoidable. You might not be in the midst of it right now, but at some point, eventually, it will arrive. And it can be circumstantial. Uh, it can just be uh, the, the outside things in your life that you cannot control, but pressure will eventually come. And the human tendency is to say that when those pressures come, to believe, I don't have any peace. Because there's tension and conflict and just that sense of unease, well, then I don't have any peace at all. And we look at Psalm 4, and David himself is under pressure. And it's often believed that Psalm 4 is meant to accompany Psalm 3. And if you actually have your your Bible with you, if you look at the the beginning of Psalm 3, you don't have to right now. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. But at the very beginning of Psalm 3, it says that this is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Every now and then, the psalms will give a brief context to let you know this is what is going on in the psalmist's life that inspired them to write this psalm. And so Psalm 3, David is running for his life from his own son. And so many 
theologians and scholars believe that Psalm 4 is meant to accompany that. That these pressures that David is talking about are the same pressures that he's unpacking in Psalm 3. There's no way to confirm if it is or isn't supposed to be with Psalm 3. Regardless, whatever the situation is, David is under pressure. It could be from Absalom. It could be from Saul. It could be from something completely unrelated. But the first point that David makes is to appeal to God's character. He opens up in verse 1 saying, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. One of the beautiful things that uh, I find in uh, having the seminary education and being able to go back to the biblical languages to, to unpack, my Greek and Hebrew is not as fluent as it once was. It's a bit more rusty and it takes a little more time. But it's, it's fun to be able to get back into the original language But the second line in that, that you have given me relief when I was in distress, literally translates, in tight places, you have made space for me. David is appealing to God and saying, in the past, when I was in that tight place and felt like I had no room to move and the world was collapsing in on me, you gave me room. David is appealing to God's character and how He has been with him in the past. He says, be gracious to me, God. Hear me when I call out to you. David is appealing to God's faithfulness in the past. And he addresses his current problem. In verse 2, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words? and seek after lies. David is surrounded by people that are slandering his name. He's addressing them directly. The people that are trying to destroy him by destroying his very name. He says they love vain words. That they love worthlessness. That instead of engaging the truth, that they seek after lies and they are trying to destroy him. There are people chasing after deceit itself in their attempt to destroy David's name. But, verse 3, but know that Yahweh has set apart the godly for himself. Yahweh hears when I call to him. These people are slandering David. They're dragging his name through the mud. But Yahweh, if you'll remember, anytime you see Lord, all caps in the Old Testament, that's the covenant name of God that He has given to His people. That in relationship, He says, I am Yahweh, the great I am. And we are in relationship because I have called you to Myself. Whenever you see Lord, all caps, all of that baggage is packed into Lord. So Yahweh sets apart the godly for Himself. And if you've been with us this summer during the Psalms, uh, I've, I've mentioned time and time again, there's this beautiful word that we often see translated as steadfast love, and it's that word chesed. And it, the beautiful word that conveys the faithfulness, the covenant 
everlasting faithfulness of God toward His people. And the word godly there is actually in the adjective form of hesed. And so, instead of saying godly, reading that word, it is literally translated that God has set apart the covenanted one for Himself. That God is so faithful to His own Word that the ones that He has chosen as His own children, the ones that He has set apart, God will hold on to them as His covenanted ones. Yahweh hears when His people call. I don't know what kind of pressures you might be facing in your own life. Maybe, maybe right now you feel like David himself. Maybe there are people in your life that are attacking you and slandering your name and dragging your reputation through the mud. Maybe you're going through the exact same situation. Maybe your, your, your pressures and your struggles are a little differently. Maybe you have a beloved friend that has betrayed your trust. Maybe in your own relationship, there might be uh, marital tension or, or struggles. Uh, maybe, uh, for those of you that aren't married yet, it might just be the tension of struggling with loneliness. I don't know what pressures you're dealing with. It might be a family tension. The, the desire to feel that you always have to perform, that you have to be good enough for the people around you. Whatever your pressure is, notice what David does first. He's not trying to clear his own name. He's not trying to justify himself. He's not giving explanations of, well, 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 this is why what happened happened. He immediately goes to the character of God and says, Yahweh, covenanted God of Israel, the God who has put people into relationship with yourself, God, Please hear me. You're the one that set me apart. You've been with me before. You've given me space in tight places. God, hear my prayer. Be with me in my struggle. Because Yahweh is a God who hears His people. And this cultural time, there, were, there was a pantheon of gods, lowercase g. There were gods of fertility and gods of the harvest and gods of the sun and the moon. But these were not true gods. They had no real power. But God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of creation, is a God who hears His people. That He put His people into relationship, a covenant relationship with Himself. And He hears His people. Throughout Scripture, time and time again, there are examples of God hearing the prayers of His people. And just a few examples in Psalm 34.17 that when the righteous cry for help, Yahweh hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. In Psalm 145.18, that Yahweh is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him for truth. And in Romans 10.13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Scripture is repeating this theme and this reminder from beginning to end from Genesis throughout Revelation 
that the God we worship hears the cries of His people. In my own marriage with Amy, we've had our share of struggles and pressures. And my natural reaction, the natural tendency of my own heart is I want to jump straight into depression. I want to to just kind of give up and stay in bed and throw myself a pity party and woe is me. But when I actually think back on God's faithfulness to me throughout my life, for just a, a few examples, in 2007, there was conflict in my life and I felt like my very life was falling apart at the seams. And yet, God used that to remind me of the calling that He had placed in my heart and helped me to actually get enrolled in seminary and start serving in ministry again. Throughout my years, I grew up as an only child in a divorced family and I struggled with loneliness and belonging and a longing for family my entire life. And as I struggled with loneliness, that I was reunited with one of my best friends from college, with Amy, in 2009. And just a few months later, we were married and starting a family of our own. That very Christmas, we found our... The Christmas after we got married, just for clarification, we found out that we were pregnant with our first child, Isaac. And honestly, feeling overwhelmed... Because in, our current, in my current position, in her current state, we were not able to actually realistically begin a family and financially provide for ourselves. And yet, God provided a job and a home in Columbia, South Carolina. And because of that, I actually ended up getting an internship at Grace Point Church in Irmo, South Carolina. Countless pressures of finances and relationships throughout my life, and yet time and time and time again, God shows up. And so when those pressures rise and I want to sink into my depression, I have to be like David and reflect and appeal to God's character and say, you are the one that never gives up on me. And when you are under pressure. Where does your heart go? Do you have a heart for depression or anxiety that when those pressures come that you either that you just want to go ahead and spiral into worst case scenario and feel like it's just not even worth the fight or feel so overwhelmed that you don't know how to take the next step? Do you try to distract and numb yourself? And it might not be uh, a drug addiction or or anything like that. It might not be uh, uh, the things that you're viewing online. It could be things that you try to substitute in a good way and invest and pour yourself into work and get so uh, invested as a workaholic that you become numb to the struggles outside. Or maybe as soon as you come home from work or school, you plug into Netflix and just numb yourself to the reality of the world around you to where Netflix is constantly asking you, are you still watching? 
Do you double down your own effort and try to, to rest in your own strength and just toughen out the battle trying to endure in your own strength? If any of those describe your heart, I want to challenge you. Reflect. Look back in the past and look and ask, where has God shown up in the past? Where has He been before? And appeal to that character because the God who has shown up before is still present and will show up again. And when you appeal to God's character, it actually leads to David's second point in Psalm 4. To check your actions. David writes in verse 4, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in Yahweh. Previously, David was just addressing the ones that are slandering his name, but now he's actually turning to the people that are just reacting and overreacting. The the emotionally reactive, the people who react sometimes violently, without stopping to analyze the situation. David says, be angry and do not sin because anger itself is not sinful. There is such a thing as good anger if it's put toward the right thing. Paul reminds the church in Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. That to rest in your anger, to to dwell in it, and to, to even act on that anger gives the enemy a foothold to destroy kingdom work, to tear you away from God's mercies. And so Paul is reminding the church to be angry and do not sin. In James 1.19, James writes, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. To stop, slow down, take a moment to listen before you speak and act in anger. And in Matthew 21 and Mark 11, it's recorded that Jesus actually acts in His anger, not in a sinful manner, but because of the way that the people are abusing the the temple of God, that they've turned the temple of God into a commodity and to a, a place of consumerism, that He's flipping tables and throwing people out of the church. Out of a, a, a holy anger for the purity of God and His Word and His people. That Jesus, the Son of God, is throwing people out. Saying, you have desecrated this place. So anger itself is not sinful. It's what is done and acted on and how it's carried out that it can become sinful and destructive. In 1993, Ice Cube, that's right, I'm referencing Ice Cube in my sermon, Ice Cube put out a song called Check Yourself. And I remember specifically because the, the, there's a repeating motif throughout the song that, that we actually, it became just part of the common vernacular, at least within my school and with the people that we hung out with. But there's a phrase, check yourself before you wreck yourself. 
And the actual line in the song is, chickity check yourself before you wreck yourself. But I'm too white to say it like that, in all honesty. But the, but the, the message of the song, and granted, he's, he's speaking in a different context. And just the, 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 the difficult, harsh reality of a life on the streets. But even within our suburban context, the, the message is the same. Slow down and think about what you are about to do before you destroy yourself in the process. I would say that all truth is God's truth, regardless of it comes from Scripture or a sermon or gangster rap from 1993. All truth belongs to God. And so when Ice Cube is saying to check yourself before you wreck yourself, that applies to us today in 2019 when your emotions want you to flare up and react without thinking about the situation. Scripture itself, paraphrased of course, is telling you to check yourself before you spiritually wreck yourself. In your anger, slow down. Stop what you're doing and think. Ponder. David says here to offer right sacrifices and trust Yahweh. Instead of jumping to an immediate reaction, possibly an overreaction, stop. Think about what's going down. Worship God and trust that He is the vindicator of God's people. That even though David is under attack and feeling pressure from people slandering his name and reacting against him, David says stop, slow down, and trust that God is the one in control and the one that will bring justice. This very week I was actually reminded to slow down before I react uh, because I made the mistake of sharing an opinion on social media. Uh, and then I made the second mistake of reading the comments. And this guy that was attacking what I said, instead of engaging what I actually wrote, he immediately jumped to mockery and insulting me. And uh, his, his opening theme actually was making fun of the fact that I am a lower middle class white guy who, in his words, has children for tax deductions. And I wanted to rip this guy apart. I wanted to just jump in and be like, just like have this, let me tell you this and this. And I was like, all right, hold on, all right. Let me just, uh, instead of overreacting, let me just calmly reply to his points and, and try to engage with what he's seeing. If I can calm him down, maybe we can dialogue. Third mistake. Again, he replied with mockery and insults. And so at this point, I started sharing the conversation with Justin. And I was, I was actually uh, seeking his advice as I was replying to this guy on Instagram uh, because I wanted to sink to his level and I wanted to be just as sarcastic and mean as he was being. And then Justin, who's completely like joking, well not joking, but kind of teasing me when he said this, but recently we've started reading Jerry Bridges' book, The Pursuit of Holiness, together. And I've got it sitting there on my desk. And he laughingly pointed at it. He was like, yeah, you're doing a great job with that, aren't you? 
<laughs> called me out. But I'm thankful for that because it made me stop and analyze and check my own attitude and check my emotions. Am I actually wanting to pursue holiness or am I just reacting to this guy out of emotional reaction? And it didn't change this other guy's attitude, but it changed mine. And at that point, I viewed the the conversation in a completely different light. And even now, somewhere out there in America, there is a very angry guy named Joshua that I strongly feel a burden to pray for this guy. When conflict and pressure comes up in your own life, how do you react? Because remember, your anger isn't sinful. It's what you do with it. But do you let your emotions dictate your response? Do you end up sinning and then looking back and be like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Do you have those moments where you look back in your life and said, I wish I could have just done fill in the blank differently? Do you, do you let your emotions dictate your reaction? Scripture says, slow down, be silent, think and ponder. As James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. And David reminds us here in Psalm 4, most of all, trust in God. He's the one who created all things. That He's the one who made man out of His very own breath. That He's the God over creation and conflict and over weather and war. That God will bring justice in His time. Trust in Him. And when you appeal to God's character and slow down to check your actions, it makes it easier to reach David's third point. To rest in God's control. David has addressed his pressure from his slanderers and the emotionally reactive, and now he turns his attention to those in sorrow. In verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Yahweh. And this is actually a variation of the the ironic blessing from Numbers. Uh, But these are the people who look at the conflict and pressure in their lives. And they spiral into depression and they say this is the worst thing that has ever happened. That everything in life is going wrong. Why bother? God, we want You to show up, but what's the point? And David responds, not with despair, but by focusing on what God has done. He says in verse 7 that you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. That his joy is not wrapped up in his circumstances or his stuff. His joy is not found in the conflict or absence of conflict. His joy is not found in his wealth and in his riches. His joy 
is in the presence of God Himself. In verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For You alone, O Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. This peace that's written here, the, the Hebrew word is one of the other most beautiful Hebrew words. Shalom. And shalom is a peace that is not an absence of conflict. Shalom is a peace that is in the presence of God. That even in the midst of conflict, that God is with His people and so you can have peace. David remembers that Yahweh is the God who is with His people. We see this unpacked some in Isaiah chapter 43 and verses 1-3. through Isaiah writes, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. David's peace is not the removal of conflict and pressure, but in the presence of a covenant God who refuses to abandon His people. That in the presence of this God, that He has the peace to lie down and sleep. I don't know if you've ever had such a feeling of pressure and fear and anxiety to where you just lie awake in bed dreading the very next day because you're terrified of the conflict to come. And David says, in the presence of God, I have such a peace that I can lie down and sleep. That I find rest in the shalom peace of God. This is the peace that we see in Christ that in the middle of a raging storm that He is actually asleep and woken up by the disciples because they're freaking out. Their lives are going to end. And Jesus says, peace, be still. And the storm subsides. That when the Pharisees are repeatedly trying to trick and trap Jesus so they can sentence Him to death, Jesus calmly points them back to Scripture and confronts them in the midst of their own trap. On the Mount of Olives, knowing that His crucifixion is on its way, that He has the strength and peace to pray, not My will, but Yours be done. As he's beaten and nailed to a cross that he doesn't react out of emotion and anger. He doesn't curse the people with vengeance, but yet instead he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And so he took your place on the cross. Nailing your sin to the cross to die a death that you could never die. 
pay a cost that you cannot pay, to give you a righteousness that you cannot earn, to restore a broken relationship between you and the covenant God of creation. And in His resurrection, He gives the hope and promise of not just a peace here on earth, but an eternal shalom peace for eternity in the presence of the living God. An eternal shalom with Yahweh, the great I Am. And so I don't know what pressures you're dealing with right now, the things that keep you up at night in fear and dread. But Christ is offering you a shalom peace in His presence. He's inviting you to lie down and rest. To sleep. Knowing that the covenant God of Israel, the God of all creation, calls you His own. And He is with you. And so today, I ask you, where is your peace? Are you busy trying to bury your head in the sand and pretend that if I don't see the problems coming, then they're not actually there? Trying to just distract yourself or endure the conflict in your own strength? Or will you appeal to the God who has shown up time and time again the God who has been consistent and faithful to His people, who is with you now and promises to be with you still? Will you let your emotions lead you to sin? To react and overreact in your emotions? Or will you check yourself to stop and slow down and examine your heart and your reaction according to Scripture? Will you let your pressures consume you with fear and anxiety and depression? Or will you find your rest in the living God, in His presence, trusting in the eternal shalom found in Christ alone? Which will you choose today? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we come before You this morning and we confess that far too often we try to find peace in our own ability, in our own efforts. We try to to run and hide from our struggles and our fears and our doubts. God, we confess that far too often we do not place our hope and our trust in You. And so God, we bring these confessions and we bring our baggage and I pray that You would give us the strength to let go. God, let us find eternal shalom peace in the presence of Your Son. And we pray this now in His holy name. Amen.